Hello and welcome to Huguenot Podcast, episode 125. Today we're going to go over the Valspa again, but before we get into that, I want to go over the station news. So, first things first, my website is now HTTPS instead of HTTP. So just a little backstory. It's always been a view-only website and always will be. I never asked for user information. So I had it as HTTP forever and that's cheaper. But the new standard is HTTPS. So I decided it's time that I finally moved to that standard and I got that all sorted out. So if you are getting those annoying pop-ups from Firefox and Chrome saying that this site is HTTP and is not secure. You will not get those anymore because now it's HTTPS. So that's cool. Uh, I also wanted to mention that, of course, speaking of the website, the URL is the same, hugenhoff.org. That's H-E-G-I-N-H-O-F.org. Feel free to visit it. And I also wanted to mention that if you have not checked out Lore's books, then you should. Just go to Amazon.com and look up Stephen Oaks. He's got a number of books there. Of course, mine is there, Lightbringer. I only have the one. Okay, with all that said, I think we'll jump into today's episode. And I like, I like be, uh, okay, so I, I have a bookmark in here, but I can't remember the exact stanzas I am on. So if I've already read this one, apologies, but I don't think I have. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and start. If anyone's following along in the Everyman version, like, like that actual publisher, this is page eight. Uh, in the doorway of the hall, Gilfie saw a man juggling with knives, keeping seven in the air at a time. The man spoke first and asked him his name. He said it was Ganglary and that he had traveled trackless ways. He requested that he might have a night's lodging there and asked whose hall it was. The man replied that it belonged to their king. All right, so I think I may have read that, so I'll be going through a little quickly. Um... Again, I do think it bears repeating that in Norse culture or society or whatever, being a good host was very important. So just keep that in mind. And I can take you to see him. Then you can ask him his name yourself. And the man turned ahead of him into the hall. Gilfie followed and the door immediately shut on his heels. He saw there many apartments, many people, some engaged in games, some were drinking and some were armed and were fighting. He looked around and thought many of the things he saw were incredible. Then he said, every doorway before you go through should be peered round and you cannot know for you cannot know for certain where enemies may be sitting waiting inside. And of course, I did go over this because... That was uh, something from the Havamal, one of the quotes from the Havamal. That I think we actually went over that a long time ago. I may go over the Havamal again because as I'm, it's been a while since I read it, my thoughts may have changed on a few of those things. But um, that's not what we're doing today, so I just wanted to mention that. He saw three thrones, one above the other, and there were three men, one sitting in each. Then he asked what the names of their ruler was. The man who had brought him in replied that the one that sat on the lowest throne was called High. Next to him, the one called Justice High, and the one sitting at the top was called Third. Then High asked a newcomer whether he had he had any further business. Though he's welcome to food and drink like everyone else there in, high ones, in the High Ones Hall. He said that he wished to f- first to find out if there was any learned person in there. High said he would not get out unscathed unless he was more learned. And stand out in front while you ask, he who tells shall set. 
All right. Um, so again, this is just like introducing the three um, people that he's going to talk to. Uh, obviously, they're very connected to and related to Odin, and Odin always has a weird three nature, and you know his sacred number is nine. And not so much Odin has a three nature, just three is always a very powerful and magical number. And then nine is just three, three times. So three threes is nine. So that also makes it a more powerful number. And you number, and you see it in uh, things like the Volknot, that has three triangles. But it also has nine lines, if you think about it, because a triangle is a group of three lines. So you have three groups of three or nine, and that's a symbol of Odin. So when you're seeing threes and nines, you can oftentimes think this probably has something to do with Odin. And and why three is important is a different question, and, and there's lots of reasons that three is important. I think you have like past, present, and future is an obvious one that comes up with the Norns and fate a lot. Um, but there's other things too, but I'm not going to go over all of those because I'm certainly not an expert and that's kind of outside the scope of what I'm doing right today. So, continuing, Ganglary began his questions thus. Who is the highest and most ancient of all gods? Okay, so I am going to stop again, and I may have already said this, but a lot of what the Poetic Eddas is doing um, is kind of making an excuse like narratively making an excuse to ask all these lore questions. So Ganglary has come here to ask questions and learn about the world and now he's going to do that. So we get like a huge amount of lore. So there's kind of two things in this book. One, you can look at the story that's happening and see why and how that is important, but also it's just a great place to pick up lots of pieces of lore so that you understand the lore better. And I'll kind of be talking about both of those. Hi said, he is called Allfather in our language, but in old Asgard he had twelve names. One is Allfather, the second Heron of Harian, the third Neker or Neker, the fourth Nikas or Hinenkad, the fifth Fjolnir, the sixth Oski, the seventh Omi, the eighth Biflidi or Biflindi, the ninth Svitter, the tenth Svitterer, the eleventh Vidrer, the twelfth Lag or Yalk. Um, okay, so that's an awful lot of names, and I'm not going to go over every single name in detail. What I will say is Odin having multiple names is important, and I think I've mentioned this before where Ganglary is in some ways doing something similar, going under an assumed name, because many times you can't have people know who you truly are if you want to get honest um, opinions and information from them. So, I talked about that last time, so I will go on. Then Ganglary asked, Where is this god? What power has he? And what great works has he performed? High said, He lives throughout all ages, and rules all the kingdoms, and governs all things great and small. Uh, then spoke just as high. He made heavens and earth and the skies and everything in them. Then spoke third. But his greatest work is that he made man and gave him a soul that shall live and never perish through the, though the body decays to dust or burn to ashes. And all men who are righteous shall live and dwell with him in 
this place called Gimli or Vingolf, but Wicked Men go to Hell and on to Nifel Hell. That is down in the Ninth World. Okay, so this is just alluding to the creation story, which we've gone through before, and the poetic Eddas, and this is a bit of a simplification. Didn't Odin didn't create the skies from whole cloth. It was from the body of Ymir, the first giant. Um, slightly simplify things, but have a little bit of simplification and falsification is going on here. So you're slightly simplifying them, but not really getting the whole story. Is that intentional or non-intentional? Um, uh, that, that's a good question, and you can take it as you want. My first thought is it's just sort of simplifying things down so they're easier to understand, knowing that the people are going to know, the people reading it are going to know exactly what creation myth that refers to. Because is it the same thing to say Odin created the sky versus Odin used Ymir's body to create the sky and the earth? Like, they're not truly equivalent, but they're sort of they're pretty, pretty similar, and maybe it's assumed you'll know the story and you'll be able to figure out what's going on. Anyway, let's move on. Then spoke Ganglary. What was he doing before heaven and earth were made? Then High replied, Then he was among the frost giants. Ganglary spoke, What was the beginning, and how did things start, and what was there before? High replied, as it says in Valsapa, it was at the beginning of time when nothing was, sand was not, nor seen, nor cool waves, earth did not exist, nor heaven on high. The mighty gap was, but no growth. And kind of to back up what I just said, they assumed that you know the story. They literally just quoted the Valsapa and called it the Valsapa. So you are assumed to know the original stories it's talking to them. So that's kind of why I think they're not trying to like change the lore when they say Odin created the sky and the earth. They're just assuming that you know that tale because they're mentioning that tale here. And it sort of did say he was with the giants first, which would be true because of Ymir. Uh, because it was Ymir and then he created all the other giants before he's killed by Odin. Then spoke just as high. It was many ages before the earth was created that Niflheim was made, and in its midst lies a spring called Hilgelmer, and from it flows the river called Svol, Gunthrol, Fjorm, Fimblefi, Slitter, and Hreg, Slig, and Ylig, Vid, Lepter, Gjol is next to Hellgates. Okay, I can't really pronounce any of these names, and I apologize. Uh, I'm doing my best. But this is interesting. Uh, it says that Niflheim was made before the Earth. It's hard to say how significant that is. But if you think about Ginnagap, which is the like magical void of chaos and potential that Abdullah was ultimately made, I think it's described as having on one side ice and on the other side fire. And where they come together, that's sort of where the world tree and Abdullah and the rest of the nine worlds are created. And this here says that Niflheim is existed before the earth, and Niflheim is the place of fire, and we know that Musfelheim is the place of ice. So I think it's interesting to think, and perhaps true, that 
the world is created from the interaction of Niflheim and Muspelheim. And also Niflheim and Muspelheim are not places you want to be. They're not really conducive to light. One is ice and stagnation. The other is fire and chaos. And in either of those extremes, you cannot live. But if you bring them together and you find a balance, then that is where life and humans can survive and kind of existence. And this reminds me of all of those other philosophies and stories. I think Aristotle had a lot of philosophies about like the doctrine of the mean. Like you cannot be too far one way or the other way. But in the middle is where virtue lies. He was talking about virtue. So like if you rush into battle and sacrifice your life for no reason because you don't think and you're impulsive, you're foolhardy and that's bad. But if there's something worth fighting for and you go hide, that's cowardice and that's bad. So foolhardiness and cowardness or cowardice are opposite sides of the scale. They're both bad, but in the middle is bravery. You don't rush into battle when it's not necessary. You think about things, but if it is necessary to fight, you are willing to do that if it's the right thing to do. And that's bravery, and that's a, a good thing. That's a virtue. So I think Aristotle would say that most, if not all, virtues are somewhere in the middle. You don't want to be too far one way or the other. But also here, we're kind of seeing that like maybe existence itself is somewhere in the middle. You don't, you don't want chaos, but you don't want stagnation. Both of those are bad. But if you meet in the middle and have balance, then you can really have life and thrive. And I, I think just in pop culture, in general cultures, there's everywhere you always get this idea of balance. You don't want to, you don't want like the earth to be out of balance. You don't want yourself to be out of balance. You don't want to focus on spiritual things too much or physical things too much. You don't want to be, think about just the intellect or just the body. Like everything needs to be in balance. So that's sort of what this, this that is one way to take what they're saying that Niflheim existed before the actual world. All right, thus spoke, whoops, then spoke third. The first there was, the, but first there was the world in the southern region called Musful. It was bright and hot. That area is flaming and burning, and it is impassable for those that are foreigners there and are not native to it. There is one called Sert that is stationed there at the frontier to defend the land. He has a flaming sword, and at the end of the world he will go and wage war and defeat all the gods and burn the whole world with fire. Thus it says in Valsipa. Sert travels from the south with the stick destroyer, fire, shines from his sword the son of the gods of the slain. Rock cliffs crash and troll wives are abroad. Heroes tread the road of hell and heaven splits. Okay, so this is talking about, again, the end of the world. Uh, and this is talking about Surt, who ultimately comes in the end of the world in Ragnarok. He's sort of the last one to come and just completely destroys the entire world. And this is always a difficult one because it makes people, or it's easy to think like, oh, search giant, so in Ragnarok the giants win, and Ragnarok's bad, and it sure would be nice if Ragnarok uh, never happened, because ultimately the world's depressing and the giants are going to win and we're all dead. I don't think that's true. 
the Giants, though Cert is a type of giant, Cert is not a frost giant. He's a fire giant. That's significant. And also, next in the Havamal, after the earth is burned, a new earth arises from the sea, where the, the, the earth fell into or whatever so like a new earth arises from the sea after he burns the earth so this is very much a story about like rebirth and renewal the old world has become i don't even want to say corrupt because then i feel like i'm moralizing it but the old world has become stagnant maybe we've done everything we can and we need to become something different again i would say something greater but then that does sort of again moralize it but it's the idea that to become something different and to continue existing you have to burn the old world and completely destroy it and then it comes back fresh and new it's sort of like naturally occurring forest fires like you don't want forest fires every day that would be really bad like nothing could live if the forest caught on weak caught on fire once a week but forests do like just the undergrowth and trees and everything sort of start choking out the forest and make it less healthy and then the forest fire comes and burns it and everything gets a new start and that is part of the cycle of forests um they've evolved i guess to periodically have forest fires and in other things you see this too like people as we grow up we get all these ideas stuck in our heads and like we make a lot of progress yes and people are good but but also like as a generation we get all of these weird things where we're stuck in our ways and we just think this is the right way to do it and we're not willing to try anything else but then the old generation dies and the new generation comes to power. So in that way, like people, really all animals have a sort of life, death, rebirth thing where the old generation is dominant, but then after some amount of time, they die and pass on to the new humans, which are the next generation. Uh, and then I know there's like genetic reasons to have genetic shuffling and stuff like that. But also there's, but I'm just saying that there is this life, death, rebirth idea like in the species of humans at large, which I think is good because you do have generations get stuck in their way. My generation is going to be the same as all the other ones. We'll get stuck in our ways and not be willing to try certain things. And the new generation will carry the human race further. And in the generational thing, I mean, I feel like we're actually carrying the human race further because the technology is advancing and we seem to be in general getting you know better than we were before um i guess that's arguable but i think humans are in general getting better i feel like we have i feel like we're making progress uh, but that can only happen because there is a generational shift where the old generation will think something that is wrong you know if that's wrong like it's factually incorrect or if it's wrong like it's unethical either way we've have we have examples of both the old generation will will not be able to let go of those ideals but what does happen when you do have scientific or cultural or social revolutions is because the old guard dies and re is replaced by the new guard so we need the the destruction to lead to 
the betterment of everybody, uh, of the race in general going forward, like humanity in general going forward. If we were all immortal, I don't think that would help humanity. I think that would make things a lot worse for humanity if we were all immortal. But we're not. And my point is that's a good thing. And then I think you also have, like, the personal thing. Uh, I guess everybody's going to have different levels of experience with this. But, like, you personally may have had something where you have to, like, let go of your old self, let go of things that were holding you down and be like you know kill the old self so the new self can be reborn and you can start on a different type of journey or like really small scale you could look at like a project that you're doing maybe you want to write a book or you want to write a program or make a video game or something like that and you've made one before when you start a new project you don't just modify what already exists you start over and you're like this time my variables are going to make sense or this time i'm going to make an outline and really make all of these characters mean something or interact with something it's or i don't know if you're making a table you can be like this time i'm going to be extra precise with my cut so i don't have to like fix the wiggly leg later i know nothing about how to make tables but whatever your thing is you don't just keep modifying what already exists because all the stuff you've done in the past gets in the way when you start a new project you start fresh and that's one of the reason people love starting new projects because they get to start fresh and they get to do it right the first time and your end product is going to be better so even something as small as starting a project still has the same thing where you have to destroy the old one and again, if you're building a table, it doesn't mean you have to set your old table on fire. It just means don't just fix the old table, make a new one. But you have to leave the old thing behind so you can make something um, that's better. Again, I keep saying that's better because that's usually how it works for people. And then that's moralizing it. And I don't want to do that. I'm not saying the earth turns evil and then we have to burn it with the cleansing fires of goodness so it can come back and be an ethical world again like i don't want to put that that much moral i don't want to moralize it that much it's just that you know the forest doesn't turn evil and then a forest fire comes and destroys all the evil underbrush it's just part of the cycle and it's the same thing with the earth just like we have to start over again periodically and clear out the underbrush and that's the whole thing with cert coming with fire and fire is cleansing like they didn't pick fire because like oh well why not fire is cool they picked fire because it does have that cleansing connotation to it and it very much is destructive and it has to be a destructive force to destroy the old world so the new world can come so i think that's what that story is getting at. I've probably been on that tangent before. Um, and that took a lot of my time. So we are going to be wrapping up soon. Let me see. Um, actually, you know what? Because we are kind of changing topics in the book right now, I'm going to put my bookmark right here. So I do know where to pick up next time. And I just think the timing is good for me to stop here because we do just jump into something completely different. And this is a good place to wrap up on because I really like the idea of life, death, rebirth. And I really like the idea that you have to destroy what is old so you can start something 
new. I think that's that's useful for everyone, and sometimes it's hard to get over it because you're like, well, I've already done this thing once before, so why don't I just do it this way again? Um, but yeah, being able to move on is good. And you know, also like, as you get older and closer to death yourself, I think one of the things that you can always look look forward to because you know you know that you are not going to continue living in this world forever like you might go to the afterlife and continue your spiritual evolution that way and that's great but the you're going to leave the world and in a lot of ways that's sad because you want to keep making the world a better place or maybe you like the world or whatever but if you can say yes i'm leaving the world but i'm leaving it in the care of my children or the next generation, which I have helped shape simply by being part of this first generation. You know, I've talked to people, I've done things to make the world a better place, and now I'm leaving it in the hands of the future generations. I can make it a lot easier to be okay with the whole idea of dying and moving on because you know that you are making room for the next generation. Like, uh, yeah, I'm not there yet, but when I get to the point where I'm retiring, my kids are probably going to have their own careers, and I can take comfort in the fact that I'm getting out of the way and making room for the next generation, and I think that can be a really healthy way to look at things and, you know, makes you get a little less depressed. All right, so I really am going to wrap it up there and do the closing stuff first of all thank you everyone for listening hopefully you got something out of this again my biggest suggestion is just to go and read the edda these these books are really good and there's a lot to be learned from here but these are just things to think about i don't expect you to agree with me because i'm just reading a book and saying stuff that comes to mind but maybe get you thinking is what i'm really after so um Thank you for listening keep in mind you can check out the web, the website it's hugenhoff.org that's h u g i h-u-g-i-n-h-o-f dot org and there you can download the podcast subscribe to the rss whatever there's a couple other resources there runes and uh just random stuff so feel free to go to my website and uh yeah the rss is a big one because if you subscribe for the rss you just get the podcast instead of having to remember to go out and check so feel free to do that and i think that's it so oh check out lore's uh, check out steve check out lore's book go to amazon put in Stephen oaks he's got a bunch of books and you should buy them i have some too mine just the one Lightbringer. so feel free to check that out and i will talk to everyone next month for hell